0: Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, as we open your word and we find out what you want to say to us this morning, we ask you to open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, and open our hearts, Lord. Father, we thank you that your word is good for teaching. We thank you that your word is true, Father. Lord, help me to Pick up what you want me to say. Help me to put down what I want to say. Father, help us this morning to know something new about you and something new about ourselves. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to be having a look at Mark. We are finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks, on chapter 2. Now, I think we had something like eight sermons in the first chapter. This chapter, I'm hoping to get away with about three. Now, this morning, we pick up our story a few days after Jesus healed the man with leprosy. And I'll read scripture to you now. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So, any questions on that little bit of text there? Any questions? Anything strike you as a bit strange in there? No? Excellent. So Jesus forgives sins and we can all go home, yeah? Yeah. Awesome! It's another win-win situation on a Sunday morning. Yep. (laughs) but It's not quite that straightforward, is it? So Jesus has come back, and remember, he left, didn't he? He couldn't go to the normal places because people were just crowding around him, and everywhere he went, he was just mobbed. Now, Jesus liked people, he liked being around people, but it's very difficult to teach a lot of people all at once which is why I specify that we don't have that many people come on a Sunday because it's easier for me to talk to fewer people I've got away with that one um, it's easier though because you can connect to a smaller number of people if if I got up in front of a thousand people let's say Sompton Community Church takes off we move to a massive hall and there's a thousand people now it's very difficult to personalize a message to a thousand people it is much much easier if you can personalize a message to maybe 20 or 30 or maybe 40 people especially if you spent a large portion of your week with them praying having coffee chatting fellowship it's very easy to give a personalized message to a small church is a megachurch. You have to be slightly more generic. You have to give a a generic message rather than a tailored personal one. So Jesus is in a house. Now it's probably probably Simon Peter's house. We're not sure. But it's not going to be a vast mansion. Now the houses of the time weren't massive and we have this little bit of text here that says there was no room left. So we can imagine that they're all crowded into this room. Even outside the door, people were kind of peering in, probably peering in through the, you know, the, the very few number of windows that would have been there. There would have been no glass in them, obviously. Then we have this, this man appear with some other men. Being, this man's being carried on a mat, probably some sort of reed or cloth mat and taken up to the roof. Now that seems a bit odd, doesn't it? How on earth do you get up onto a roof? If your house is anything like mine, it has a a sloping roof, it's going to be difficult to get up there. But in those times, you are dealing with a single-storey building. So it would have been maybe, let's say, I don't know, eight or nine feet high. Probably about, 18-foot long, something like that. Not a massive building. But at the side of the building, they would usually have a staircase on the outside of the building, leading up to the roof. So you can gain roof access, because they would have used that roof space for all sorts of stuff, drying herbs or whatever going up there for a bit of a sunbathe, maybe a solitary place to go and pray at the end of the the day. Now, there's a very, very nice little bit in Proverbs. I didn't need that one. um, That says about, this one's for the gentleman. Now, don't blame me, this is scripture. It talks about a man going up to a place on his roof to escape a nagging wife. I know, controversial, but it's scripture, so I can say it. It could be the other way around, but it doesn't say that. So I'm just going to go with scripture and just yes, say that it's nagging wives. And, and women only want because men give them <laughs> 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 Yes, I'll give you that one. Fair point. So this, this space would be an, a little escape route, really. An escape from the hustle and bustle of the world. And it's not going to be like a solid brick roof. It's going to probably be some like branches, or a few timbers with reeds over it, maybe some mud that's dried out. So we have this little bit of... They were digging through the roof, which seems odd, doesn't it? That they're digging through a roof. They're, they've come along to this guy's house, climbed up on his roof space, and are you know, engaged in an act of wanton vandalism, destroying this poor man's roof, doesn't really seem fair, does it? Now, in Luke's gospel, we have the same story. Now, remember, much of Mark appears in Luke. Luke used Mark's gospel as a basic framework for his. He, he pinched a lot of Mark's material. But in Luke's gospel, he recounts this story almost word for word, but he changes it ever so slightly and says... There were tiles on the roof. Why is it different? Why are they digging through a mud roof here, but on the other one they're digging through tiles? Or they're removing tiles, they're breaking tiles off. Is this a mistake in the Bible? Is one of them lying? And it's exactly the same person. This isn't just another event that's similar. This is the same event, but there are two different accounts of the roof. Why? Anyone want to hazard a guess? It could be a potential sticking point. And I've heard atheists... Nope. it's one or the other. Now I've heard this, this comes up a lot. So if you're dealing with people, that have actually read the Bible but don't believe in it, they will point out little inaccuracies like this and go, it says this in that one, but it says completely different in the other one. Which one's true? They must both be lying. Well, I'll tell you why. Mark's gospel was written for a specific people. Luke's gospel was written written for a specific (coughs) people now if Luke put in that they dug through the roof the people that would read Luke's gospel the Greeks the Greco-Romans would look at themselves in Rome and go dug through the roof what we don't have that what that doesn't make sense you can't dig through tiles because they have tiled roofs so in order to make it accessible and not to bring up too many sort of like, I don't get that, Luke made it culturally applicable to the people that were going to read it. You see what they've done? I'm going to paint the picture so that you can understand it much, easy, much easier. You know your culture, yeah? My job is to make this bit speak to you in your culture. Luke's bit was to use this stuff to speak to the people in his time using their culture. Do you see what he's doing there? So they tailor it to the people that are going to hear it, that are going to read it. Because you don't want them getting hung up on little bits. You don't want them to think of the roofing situation above and beyond the actual message that they're trying to get through. So you make it culturally appropriate, which is what we try to do as evangelicals. We try to make the Bible culturally appropriate so that you can relate to it without getting hung up on lots of little bits. Now they bash through this roof. Now it doesn't say in there everyone inside was freaking out but I think it would be fair to say if you were in a room listening to a teacher let's imagine it now I'm standing here teaching you and someone is digging through the roof of the school to get in here how are you going to respond to that are you going to just no I'm going to ignore it and just focus and listen what's going to happen Yeah, you're going to be like, what on earth is going on? Is this some sort of earthquake? And then all of a sudden this man is lowered down to the feet of Christ. That is, you know, I mean that's cue jumping for a start, which us British do not like. You wait your turn. That's how we do things here, thank you very much. So what does that say about these people? They were absolutely desperate to get this man to the feet of Jesus. They were so desperate that they are willing and able to smash through someone else's property. Now, if you smash through my roof, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be too harsh, but I'm at least going to phone the police. All right? if you start smashing up my house and if anyone starts smashing up your house you are going to run outside and go "Hey, What on earth do you think you're doing? Did anyone, does it say anywhere that anyone ran out and said that? Now I'm going to assume that this was a disciple's house. So they're obviously thinking, okay, well let's see how this pans out. Mum's gonna kill me, but we'll just see how this goes. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus go, Whoa, 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 hang on a minute. What's going on here? You're coming through the roof. Why are you doing that? No. Is there a dialogue? Do the people on the roof shout down and say, Jesus, can you just heal this guy for us and we'll go? No. Jesus responds to them not by going, what the are you doing to that roof? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the paralysed man, did he show any real faith? Did he show faith in Jesus? The people showed faith. The people showed faith. His friends showed faith. Amazing faith. A faith so amazing, they were willing to risk prosecution for destroying someone's home, just to get this man healed. But what else did this man this paralyzed man did he protest? No. Imagine you are a paralyzed person and you're being carried by people. What are you exhibiting to those people that are? faith, trust? This man wasn't screaming, put me down, what are you doing? How dare you? He trusted these people. He entrusted his safety to these four men. Now, who knows where they carried this guy from? He could have been a local, he could have been from miles away, but they carried him all this way. They carried him onto a roof. They broke through a ceiling and lowered him which would have been, you know, even though it's probably eight or nine feet high, that's still a dangerous thing to do. Still could have gone horribly wrong and Jesus is greeted with a thudding man hitting the floor in front of him. So Jesus says something really quite amazing. Son. That is an important word in this text son because that puts the man on a slightly lower setting than Christ to say son to someone think of it how we would do it oh come on sonny don't do that alright son there's a, a level you're saying I'm above you my authority is above you not in a horrible way this isn't Jesus like, going, I'm in charge here. This is Jesus saying, you're my son. That's where you are. I have authority here, don't worry. I'm here, I'm here to care and to nurture you. Son. Already that just would have put the man at ease, thinking, well, this man knows what he's doing. This man is taking authority over the situation. Son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, it doesn't say what the paralyzed man thinks, but it does pick up on what the teachers of the law think. And they were thinking, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming! Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, traditionally, we bash them for that, don't we? We go, how dare you think about Jesus like that? He's got the authority. But actually, in this little verse here, at this particular time, we could say that these guys are actually doing the right thing. Because if someone turned up here and started saying, I have the authority to forgive sins, what are you going to think of that person? You're crazy. At, at the very least, you're gonna think you're crazy. At worst, you're gonna think this guy has a bit of an overinflated ego and a very poor understanding of the doctrine of God. We want to question, we want to test. They were just responding in the way they'd been taught to respond to anyone that comes along and says this sort of stuff. Because if there wasn't a culture that held God's word in high authority, Everyone could just come along and say what they were saying and fear no punishment. The fact that Jesus so publicly said it and was so publicly ready to accept the consequences of saying something that was blasphemous, what he said, if it hadn't been for Jesus, would have been blasphemy. And the penalty for that is death. But Jesus can say it because... He has the authority. And if you remember anything from Mark chapter 1, we see how Mark structures his gospel in that first chapter to say that Jesus absolutely has the authority. He's had it from God publicly. The Holy Spirit was seen to baptize him publicly. The whole Judean countryside saw this event of Jesus being baptised so Jesus has the authority to say this the teachers were probably right to think it as a benchmark, as a list of things to go through but it says something quite strange doesn't it, it says about your their hearts were thinking it Now, what was the point of the Old Testament? The point of the Old Testament was to point to God about to do something incredible. We talk about the redemptive story of the Bible, don't we? We talk about how God had a plan, even right from the beginning, that he was going to save us from our sins by doing something miraculous. So the whole point of these teachers of the law, the whole point of them learning all of this stuff, was so that they would be ready to recognise Jesus when he comes. That's the point of the Old Testament. Get yourselves ready and recognise my redemptive plan when it happens. Now it's fine for them to think in their heads, is this man, can he say that, should he say that? but to know it in your hearts to be against Christ in your heart despite all the evidence to know it in your heart tells us exactly what these guys were all about even when Jesus healed the guy and said up you get Pick up your bed. Off your poodle. Even when they saw that, they're still thinking, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Jesus calls them out on it. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. Two very easy things to say. Two very difficult things to put into practice. Do you have the authority, Michelle, to forgive sins? No, you don't. You don't have the authority to forgive sins. But you can tell people who has. So you can proclaim the forgiveness of sins. You can tell people who can. You have that authority. But you can't forgive them yourself, but you can point them to the way. Who has a healing ministry here? Who can heal people? Who can heal people through prayer? Well, I'd like to think that all of us really can heal people through prayer. We haven't quite cracked cancer yet. But there are stories. There are stories. Yeah. There are stories. We haven't cracked it globally, but maybe our prayers aren't big enough. Maybe our prayers aren't big enough. Yeah. So you can heal, but you can't forgive sins, right? Yeah, it's just levels, isn't it? I mean, even the disciples found it difficult to do some of the things that Jesus did, even though Jesus told them they could. They just hadn't quite figured it all out. Which is why when we see the transformation of Peter after Christ has risen, you know, after that um, Pentecostal moment, all of a sudden Peter has got it made. He is preaching the word, he is healing, he is releasing people, he is freeing people. He is a completely different person from that kind of slightly dopey, quirky kind of guy that's portrayed in Mark's gospel. He's totally on it. Peter is phenomenally on fire for Christ. But when we look at this passage, we see Jesus not only healing someone publicly and not just a little bit of a healing you know not just a i've broken my arm this guy is paralyzed he heals a man from being paralyzed who then gets up now if you look at that in itself if you were just healed from being paralyzed, you're not paralyzed anymore what things must have happened to your body Think about when when an astronaut comes down from space, they're usually carried out of the craft, aren't they? Upon landing, they're carried out on stretchers because their muscles have atrophied. They haven't used them. The muscles that they used to have and the effect of gravity being different, they can't walk. To be healed, this man must have had a complete and utter healing. His muscles would have been restored to what they should be. Maybe this man had never walked before in his life. Maybe this man had been paralysed from birth. Jesus is healing in that moment, not just healed the physical, but the mental, the spiritual, the emotional. This guy picks his mat up and walks off. What would you have done in that situation? Maybe got up and danced and run around? Jesus healed this man utterly. Every atom in this man's body was healed in that moment. He gave him the knowledge of how to walk, the knowledge of how to deal with the effect of walking. And above that, above all of that, he forgave his sins. Now what must we, we, When we talk about forgiveness of sins, we have to approach Jesus. Remember I preached that a couple of weeks ago? It's on us to approach Jesus and ask him, did this guy, did the text say that this guy did that? No. So how do we square that? he didn't say that he did. He saw their faith. He saw the faith in his friends. He's on fire today. Don't go! <laughs> <laughs> he saw their faith. He saw their faith not just in them understanding who he was, but understanding what the man wanted most of all the bond between them. <coughs> now, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to imagine that the man that was healed wanted his sins forgiven as well. In my head, if he knows he's being taken to Jesus, maybe he's asked these men to take him to Jesus. That shows a faith in of all itself. If he's asked these guys you need to take me to this guy to get healing. He's shown faith in Jesus. The guy wasn't kicking and screaming, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. He was quite relaxed. He trusted in his friends to place him through the roof. He showed faith to Jesus in that moment. He didn't have to say it. He knew who he was dealing with. so what's in this for us? What does this show us? Someone asked me today, they asked me a question, how do you help someone that you can't help? Which is a damn good question. How do you help someone you can't help? Have a think about that. There's nothing you can do nothing you can do but you need to help them they're asking for your help pray just pray now when you go into ministry and this applies to you as well as it does to me because we're all in ministry you will have people coming up to you and asking for your help now remember right at the beginning of the service i said who's up and who's down How many of us have had someone come up to them and ask for prayer or ask for help and you have got absolutely no idea how to help them? And even if you did, you've got no idea how to actually do it. Now personally I've dealt with people that are so unbelievably broken, they've had things in their lives repeatedly. from childhood all the way up to midlife and they tell you these stories and it absolutely breaks you and as a minister and as a Christian when someone tells you this stuff your heart breaks for them but also something else inside you happens you have this little voice that goes oh no How do I help this person? How, what on earth can I do? This person's come to me with help, for help, and there's nothing I can do. Nothing. I can't fix this person, and I've had it myself. These people come up to you, and they tell you their life stories, and you are utterly broken. And you know there's nothing you can do. There's not a person on this planet who could possibly untangle all of these problems, and put these people back together again. You just can't do it. And then you feel like a failure because you can't help them. They've come to you for help and you can't do anything. And then you spiral because you think, well, I'm a failure, I can't do anything. Well, this chapter tells us exactly what we do in these circumstances. You pick them up with prayer. You walk with them in prayer. You lower them to the feet of Christ in prayer. There is one thing that you can do, it is prayer. You don't have to pray with them, although it helps, but hold them in your hearts. When you have your quiet time on the roof, when the wife starts nagging you and you go up and you sit on the corner of the roof hold them in prayer there when you're standing there cooking your meal at the end of the day and you're bored hold them in prayer when you go to bed at night and your mind is racing, you can't switch your brain off hold them in prayer there when you get up in the morning and you can't face the day, pick up their mat for them. Walk them through your day in prayer. Keep giving their their problem, their situation, their person, keep giving them to Jesus. I have seen this work. I have seen incredibly broken people that I have not got a hope of healing, of helping, but by fellowship, being with them, speaking with them, showing love to them, but above all praying for them. God will heal them. He will fix them. He won't take it all away, but he will give them the strength and the courage to face whatever they need to face. If they have faith, he will restore that faith and strengthen that faith. And if they don't have faith, well, who knows what could happen if we start praying for our community. This week we've had a week of prayer. Now, the very first prayer that was spoken during that week I won't embarrass Teresa by telling you who prayed it. Um, But it was a prayer for healing. A healing of past hurts and things like that. And you know what? It snowballed over the week. The theme seemed to be about healing. Praying that past hurts, past pain, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, forgiveness that heals that was the real flavor of the week it wasn't we didn't get some amazing vision for the church but we got a very practical and sensible daily guidance on what we should do now we need to do that for our community and for our brothers and sisters in the church I'm sure many of you can think Instantly, of one person you know that doesn't know Christ, keep praying. Pick up their mat every single day and lower them through the roof. Keep doing it. It didn't work the first time, did it? It didn't work the second time. You've been praying it for years. Keep praying. He's listening. He wants to heal, and he will when the will is right. When it's his will, his timing, his timing is perfect. We don't know his timing. We don't know why or how or when he does things. We have faith that he will. Now, if you'd known me when I was a child, you may have prayed over me that I would come to faith. And you'd be incredibly frustrated after 20 years of praying that I showed no actual compunction to follow Jesus. And you might have given up. And after 30 years of praying, you'd be thinking, I should probably, probably give up right about now because this clearly isn't leading working, is it? He's 35 years old and he's, I've been praying every day for this man And he still doesn't know who the bleeding hell Jesus is. What is he? Thick? But look what happened. I found faith. It took me, what, 37 years? But I got there. I got there. It took me 37 years. It might take the people that you're thinking about. It might take them 40 years. It might take them 50 years. But does that mean you give up praying for them? No. Pick up their mat every day. Carry them in prayer. Don't give up. It will happen when it's their time. And when it's their time, they will just jump and they will go and they will do amazing things, just like you did amazing things when you became a Christian, just like you do amazing things every single day. So don't give up. Pick up their mat and carry them to Christ in prayer. Now, I'm going to stop boring you And we are going to have a prayer for our offering. Now, we've got some buckets here. I'm going to pass out. There you go. If you've passed that along in a second. And if you can pass that along in a second. Now, our prayer for the offering is not just an offering of money. Our offering... Get your wallet out, Phil. Come on. Our prayer for the offering is for our worship. It's not just money. We're offering our worship in a minute as well. We're offering our praise. Just like in the text today, when they saw the wonders performed by Jesus, it says that everyone just praised God. That's what we need. Respond to the word with praise, with worship. Lord, we thank you for our church, Lord. We thank you for every person in our church. Lord, we pray now that whatever monies we receive, Lord, you will help us to spend wisely. You will help us to spend in furthering your gospel, Father. Lord, we want to be completely sold out on you, Lord. We want more of you, Father. Help us in our worship, Lord. Help us to make it a good offering. Help us to not worry about what we sound like. Help us not to be timid in our worship, Lord. Help us to just let go, Father. Let us give you an authentic and genuine offering of worship. Amen. Now, if you'd like to stand, we will enter a time of worship.